Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Lucky enough to spend with you the next half an hour to 45 minutes. And it is a chut, it is, here, J-Root Radio, live. There was an engaged couple driving around the community, looking for one of the most difficult things to find during an engagement. That's right, they were looking for an apartment. They were going from house to house. They had a long list from brokers and realtors, and they started looking at basement apartments and then seven-story high-rises, making their way around the neighborhood to one-family houses. They spent the entire exhausting day going from apartment to apartment, looking to find the home, the home that they're about to build. Well, after a long day, Suddenly, the Kala's phone goes off, and she picks up the call. Hello? Hi. What? No way. How much? Are you serious? Okay, I'll take it. The Khatan looks at the Kala. What do you mean you'll take it? You didn't even see it. And how much was that? She says, shh, let me just finish the call. Okay, absolutely, I love it. I'll take it. Nothing to talk about. Now the Khatan is getting antsy. He turns it to Kala. What, what, how much? Where is it? How can you take it without looking at it? The Kala hangs up. And she says, relax. It's not an apartment. It's not an apartment. So one second, what do you take? How much? She says, listen, I have a friend that she runs a very high-line, close-out furniture store. She had this magnificent red oak wood, English dining room set, eight chairs, two captain chairs. And she says it's magnificent. That was the mahogany wood, old English wood, beautiful dining room set that I was always dreaming about. And she's giving it to us for a steal. A thousand dollars. He says, what? A thousand dollars? That's not a steal. She says, that's a steal. Suddenly the Khatan looks at the Kala and says, wait one second. You're buying furniture? We don't even have an apartment. Where are you going to put the furniture? We don't have a place to even park ourselves. And she looks at him and says, What are you? Listen, this is great furniture. You don't get furniture like this. If I can get an opportunity at a great set like this, I'm going to grab it. Apartment to no apartment. And the Khatan says, But what do you mean? We don't have an apartment. Where are you going to put the furniture? So she's screaming furniture, and he's screaming apartment. And they're going back and forth. How could you get furniture without an apartment? How could you let furniture go, even if you don't have an apartment? Back and forth, Hatan and Kala. Ladies and gentlemen, this very conversation between Hatan and Kala, furniture, apartment, was the very conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and Bitzalel. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and tells B'Tzalel, I want you to build first the Aron, and then after that, build the Mishkan. First build the furniture, first build the Aron, and then after that, we get the apartment. After that, we build the Mishkan. Says B'Tzalel, Rebbe, how's that possible? The Gimaram Birachot brings us the entire dialogue. Says B'Tzalel, Rebbe, does it make sense? First you build the furniture, and then afterwards you build a home? 
If you're going to build the furniture first, where are you going to put it if you don't have a house to place it in? Says B'Tzalel, it cannot be that that's the way Hashem wants it. It must be that first I'm going to build the Mishkan. First I'm going to build a home. And then, and then I'll build the Aron. Only then will I build the furniture. Says the Ramban, what was Moshe Rabbeinu thinking? B'Tzalel is very logical and very correct. Build furniture first without having a home, an apartment, a place to put it in? Says the Ramban, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to send an amazing message to the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu says, let's take this opportunity. Let's take this moment. Here is the moment that we're about to build the Mishkan. The moment we're about to build Hashem's house. Let this house be the message to how to build every Jewish home. Therefore, says Moshe Rabbeinu, you're right. Typical furniture? Of course. Logic states, first you get the home and then you bring in the furniture. But this is the Aron. This is the Aron Brit Hashem. This is the Torah. I want to send a tremendous message to all the Jewish people. How do you build a Jewish home? First you build the Aron. And the Torah builds the home. Without the Torah, you cannot properly build a Jewish home. And if you try to build that home, and you don't have the Aaron first, and you don't have the Torah first, then you might build a home. There'll be walls, ceilings and floors. But a bayit ne'eman Israel, a home that Bore Olam is going to be a shutaf in, a home that's going to have kiyum, that's going to have blessing, a home that lasts, the only way a Jewish home will last is if the Torah builds the home. Therefore, says Moshe Rabbeinu, let's teach Klal Yisrael. What a message. Build the Aaron first and let the Torah then build the home. But if that's the case, so now what is B'Tzalel arguing? You can't beat that message. Build the Aaron first, says Moshe. Let the Torah build the home. Says B'Tzalel, yes, Rebbe. You have an amazing message of how to build a Jewish home. Torah builds the home. But Rebbe, I have a message that is even greater than yours. And once we're sending the Jewish people the real message, this is a much greater message than all. Rebbe, you said, build the Torah and the Torah will build a home. But how do we build the Torah? Says B'Tzalel, I want to tell Klal Yisrael a bigger message. I'm going to first build the Mishkan. And only then will I build the Aron. You know why? I have to teach them. Yes, Torah builds the home. But how do you build Torah? Says B'Tzalel, here's my secret. Here's B'Tzalel's message. First, you have to put up the walls. First, you have to put up the Mehitzot. And only then could you build Torah and purity. If there are no walls, if there are no mechitzot, you could try to build Torah. It sounds like Torah. It even seems like Torah. But Torah misinai, Torah bigdusha of tahorah, 
Torah in its purity, that it'll never be. The only way to build Torah is to put up the mehitzot first, to put up the walls. First, you have to put your foot down and separate between the right and the wrong, between the tameh and the tahor, between the kiddushah and that which is not pure. Only when those walls were put up, only now could you build Torah in its purity. Says B'Tzalel, I'm going to build the Mishkan and put up its walls first. And only then can I build the Aaron, the Torah. Do you know that the great Ramosha Feinstein, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, Ramosha was known to say that a Mechitza is not just something that separates. Says Ramosha Feinstein, a mechitza doesn't just separate, a mechitza creates. The purpose of a mechitza is not just to separate. The purpose of a mechitza is to create a new environment of kedusha. Yes. How does it do that? When you have a mechitza separating between right and wrong, between kadosh and tum'ah, but it's mashpia on the entire environment. The environment is a different environment. The purpose of a mechitza, it creates a new environment, an environment of purity. And when you put up those mechitzot, and when you put up those walls, now you have an environment of purity. V'hayah machanecha kadosh. Otherwise, Otherwise, we're left with a double standard. Rabotai, I want to ask you a question. Picture yourself walking into a home, and this is the scene you see. And please, in your minds, give me to the answer to the question I'm about to ask you. I'll hear the answer, because we all know that if you walk into a home and a father turns to his son, and this is what you see, and the father says to the son, my son, listen, you have a Gemara test tomorrow. I want you to go inside and I want you to study the Gemara as best as you can. I want you to do well on this test. And you watch as the son smiles, he nods. He takes the Gemara under his arm. He walks into the next room. He sits himself down on a big leather reclining chair where on one of the arms there's a remote. He picks up the remote. He turns on the 52-inch flat-screen TV with the Gemara in his lap. He begins to watch TV as, with one hand, he's changing channels. The other finger, he's going up and down the lines of Gemara. What would you feel about that scene? How would you feel about the picture that you're witnessing right now? You'd say, Ibe. Not right. These things don't go together. You'd want to scream out, uh, Yingala, my son, Bni, shut off the TV. You're learning Kadosh. You're learning Gemara. You can't learn Gemara in between commercials. You can't do that. These things don't go together. You got to put up a wall, you got to make a division. You got to divide. You got to know what's right and what's wrong. 
what's kadosh and what's tameh. And if you don't put up those walls, yeah, it might look like he's learning. But Torah, Torah's not going to come out of that. This is a double standard in an environment of things that just don't mesh. And forgive me if I have to take that extra step. Forgive me if I have to bring it to the next level. Forgive me if I have to be graphic over a radio. But I have to say it. You're walking down that wonderful boardwalk in Miami Beach. And you're looking out at the waters. And then suddenly it catches your eye. It looks to you like a religious from man laying in the white sand. And around them, you could imagine what the scene is, Shema Israel. And you could imagine the people and the way they're dressed, walking around him in bathing suits. And you could imagine at that moment what your reaction would be if that man laying on the sand pulls out a Gemara and starts his dafyomi. You'd scream! We, we, we would hear you in New York. Yo! What are you doing? That's not the place. That's not the... This doesn't work. That doesn't go together. What's going on? Dafyomi? On a beach? We have to put up walls. We have to put up mehitzot. Says Bitzalel, Rebbe, I have an important message to tell Klal Yisrael. First, you put up the walls. First, you put up the Mishkan. And only then could you build the Aron. Only then could you build Torah. Yeah, this is the double standard. And it's amazing. It's amazing how over the years, I've heard from so many people, so many people this issue. They've told me, Rabbi, I don't understand, you know. How come? When we hear you talk about Torah, we hear you literally talk about something that sounds like a passion of life. It sounds like the greatest treasure given to the Jewish people, the greatest gift given to mankind. It sounds delicious. And when we hear it, we want to just drop down, open a Gemara, and start learning. But Rabbi, I have to admit it. When I open the Gemara and I start learning, it's not really as sweet as the way you make it. Matter of fact, the first time I started learning, I was breaking my teeth over the Aramaic and it was bitter. So where's the sweetness? How come you're telling me that this is the most amazing moment and experience, that this is going to fill the emptiness in my heart? This is going to be the purpose of my life. This is happiness. This is fulfillment. Rabbi, I don't taste it. Why don't I like learning? And then maybe some of the young ladies would come along after a class and say, you know, Rabbi, what happened to me? You know, years ago when I was younger and I was in school, ah, you should have saw me. I was the one that headed every chesed event. I was the one that put my neck out for every person who was in need. I started the organizations. I was the GO of chesed of my high school. You didn't see somebody like, I got rides and you have no idea. We went into the city and hospitals and every Shabbat nursing homes. I was that girl. And then all of a sudden, I leave school and I go out into the world. How come? I lost my drive. I have no push. 
people want to do mitzvot. Chesed to me became a burden. Now when people ask favors, I feel it's a pain in the neck. What happened to me? Where did I lose the sweetness of a chesed? How did I lose my love for mitzvot? What happened to me? And Rabbi, talking about losing the sweetness, when I was young, you had to see me pray. I would sit in front of that siddur. There wouldn't be a page in my siddur that wasn't dampened with tears. My amidah was never less than 20 minutes. I used to talk to Bore Olam. I'm talking conversations. And I opened my heart. How come now? Only a few years later, even to say the birachot just became a burden. What happened to my love for praying? What happened to my tefillah? What happened to my hesed? What happened to my mitzvot? Ay, ay, ay. What do you answer to this? What do you say to a guy who tells you that learning is not sweet to him? What do you say to a young lady that tells you that it's hard for her to pray? I know that there are great, great, wonderful mechanchim and rabbis that have different ways of dealing with this tremendous challenge. I'd just like to share with you what I tell people when I'm faced with this question. I don't know if anyone out there listening is really what you would call a wine connoisseur. You know, they run these wine-tasting events out in Strasbourg, out in the plains on the outskirts of Paris, where over there it's all for the rich and famous. It's for the high-line people, where they go out in tuxedos and gowns. And they, over the years, became world-renowned as from the finest wine tasters in the world. And they come together once a year, year after year, and they unveil that year's finest Bordeaux, that year's finest wines, and it's an unveiling ceremony. And then for an exclusive few, they're given the opportunity to taste, to pre-taste that year's best of wines, French wines. And you're invited. And you're floored. You made it now to the big times. You fly out to France. There, there's a limousine waiting in Charles de Gaulle. Picks you up from the airport. Takes you out to the countryside. To a very high-line vineyard. The French countrysides. You get out of the limousine. You see people are walking around in tuxedos. You see waiters and waitresses decked out in white. It's there that they lead you into this magnificent ballroom. And there's a round table. And around that table are the wine connoisseurs of the world. The wine tasters. The ones that can tell you the smallest intricacies of differences between one wine to the next. And you walk in. And on the table, all there are are glasses and goblets. Someone turns to you and says, please, grab a, grab a glass. You go about to unveil the best of year 2015 and the master of ceremonies he takes he takes a small spoon and he taps it ding ding on his glass ladies and gentlemen can i get your attention here's the moment that everyone's been waiting for we're about to unveil 
2015's best wine. And you're going to have the opportunity to pre-taste it. And everyone begins to clap. And so do you, just to fit in with everybody else. And at that moment, the master of ceremony grabs the handkerchief and he pulls it off. And there is one bottle of wine standing alone amongst the rest. And everyone sees it and they begin to cheer. And at that moment is the signal and the doors to the kitchen open and out come all dressed in white, the waiters and waitresses holding the brothers of that bottle of wine. And they begin to pour you the wine into your goblets. And they pour you as well into your glass. And then you look at each other and suddenly a buzzer goes off and you didn't know that that was the signal that allows the green light for everyone to begin to taste that year's best $500 bottle of wine. And everyone begins to swish the wine round and round in their glass and they start to compliment just the color and look at the way it moves. And then suddenly they throw the wine to the back of their palate and as they begin to digest, they breathe in. <sighs> wow, what a year, they say. What a year, what a year. Wow, it's a masterpiece. And it has the aroma of a bouquet of flowers. Meshugayim. And everybody drinks that wine. $500 bottle of wine. Except you. And then suddenly, it seems that everyone looks at you. And they look at your glass, and it's not yet, not yet drunk. They look at you, and they say, aren't you going to drink? And, and just to fit in, you throw the wine to the back of your throat, and you try very hard, slowly, to digest the wine. And suddenly, oh, you spit it out all over the room, all over the tuxedos. And the people are aghast. And there's some old lady in the back of the room that faints. <laughs> and everyone looks at you. How dare you? You just spit out $75 worth of wine. That was 2015's best. The wine tasters of the world are looking at you. How could you find that bitter? And then you look at the people and you say, I'm sorry. It tastes to me like turpentine. What? That's a $500 wine. My friends, is there a problem with the wine? Or maybe there's a problem with our taste buds. Maybe our taste buds were brought up on bubblegum and hot chocolate. And we did not yet mature our taste buds and develop the taste for the finer things of life. To appreciate that $500 wine is to maintain the art of drinking wine, the ability to develop a taste, a taste for the finer things of the world, and that's a mature, acquired taste. Torah was the greatest gift, the greatest wine that was given to the world. And yes, at first, for the one who did not yet mature their taste buds, who simply is used to 
everything else out there in the world. And they sit down to begin to sip the wines of Torah, the priceless wines of the world. And you expect it to taste right away. You have to develop those taste buffs and you take it sip by sip and little by little and slowly but surely you develop the taste for the finest, the finest wine in the world, the Torah Hagdosha. But once you acquire that taste, like the true wine connoisseurs of the world, they'll tell you, you won't have to go on vacations anymore. You won't have to look for new experiences in life. You'll be content with the magnificent taste that you found in the Torah Hakdosha. That is the answer to the people that didn't yet develop the taste. As long as we're still with so much duyot around us, as long as we're running around with our phones with no filters, as long as we are running around in Tumat America, it's very difficult to appreciate the best of wines while you're still chewing the tobacco in your mouth. You first have to spit out the tobacco. You first have to develop the taste for the priceless Torah. And then it becomes so sweet, like nothing else in the world you've ever experienced. We need to put up walls we need to put up mehitzot. We need to separate from that which is tameh to appreciate that which is tahor because they don't go together. Remember that boy learning Gemara in front of TV. It doesn't work together. And because of that, says B'Tzalel Rebbe, I have a message, a message for Klal Yisrael. Yes, you're right, Rebbe. The Torah builds the home. But what builds Torah? First, you put up the Mishkan. First, put up the walls, put up the Mehitzot. And then, then you can build the Aron. Then you can build Torah. And that's the beauty. So many of our guys that they pick up. Lech lecha, me'artzcha, mi'bet avicha, el ha'aretz asher ar'eka. They leave. They leave that society that's so double standard, that's so mixed with so many flavors that don't go together. They get on a plane and they go to Eretz Yisrael to learn Torah for a year in the great yeshivot of Eretz Yisrael, in Lev Aharon, in Mikdash Melech, in the Mir. They're detoxing. They're getting the fumes out of their system. They're spitting out the tobacco and they're saying, I want to taste it. Impurity. I want to put up the walls so I can really get a good swig of what that priceless wine of Torah could really taste like. And those guys find it. And that's why they'll come back six months later and you'll see on their face a glow. You'll see on their face something different, something special, as if, as if they came back from something out of the ordinary and all they can say there's no way to describe it rabbi all you can tell other people is just go just go 
And that is the amazing message of B'Tzalel. Aye, but with this message, this message comes with a very powerful reward. The reward is, well, the Torah itself and the experiencing of purity. There's nothing greater an experience in this world than that. But let me tell you where else this takes you. There's a very famous Gemara on Ta'anit Avchaf Amud Aleph. The Gemara tells us about a rabbi from the Gidole Hador, Reb Broca. Reb Broca was walking through the marketplace, and guess who he meets? None other than Eliyahu Hanavi. Reb Broca turns to Eliyahu and says, Eliyahu, tell me, is there anybody in this marketplace of Jewish people, thousands of people were there, is there anybody in this marketplace that's going to Olam Haba? Eliyahu begins to scour the marketplace, looking at the thousands of Jews. Looks back at Rebroka, and he says, No. No, there isn't. Rebroka says, No. Eliyahu says, No. And just then, says the Gemara, Adahache Uhache, just then. A man comes walking into the marketplace, and he doesn't even look Jewish. He's dressed like the way Goim dress. In those years, the Goim used to wear black shoes. He was wearing black shoes. Didn't look like he was wearing a pair of tzitzit. He was wearing black clothing, the way Goim dressed in those years. Suddenly, Eliel says, wait, you see that guy over there? He's going to Olam Abba. Rebroka says, him? Eliel says, him. Rebroka runs up to this man and he says to this phantom man, tell me, what do you do for a living? I need to know about you. The man turns back to to Rebroka and says, I'm sorry, I'm really in a rush. Can't talk to you now. Gotta go. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And he disappears. The next day, you could be sure, Rebroka went to the marketplace, scouring out and stalking, looking for this guy. And suddenly he appeared again. The man comes walking in again with the black shoes and the black pants and the black... And he's walking around. Rebroka runs up to him. Tell me, you pushed me off yesterday. What do you do for a living? Ana zandukna ana. I am the warden of the local jail. Really? So what do you do there? He says, I'll tell you. When the men and the women are thrown into jail. I split them up and lock them up into opposite sides of the jail. Like this, no averot, no mingling, nothing hasra shalom could take place. I split them up. I split up the men and the women. And not just that, but he said, take a look. I look like a goy. I dress like a goy. I mingle with the goyim. And the moment I find out about different evil plots that they want to do against Klal Yisrael, I quickly run to the Rabbanan. I come to the Chachamim and I tip them off what's happening. And Miyad, they begin to pray to Shamayim and they're Mivatel de Gezera. And not just that, but in those years, you know, the systems were so corrupt that actually when there was a pretty Jewish girl, the Goyim would try to throw phony charges on the girl to throw her into jail just to hurt her in ways that we'll never know. 
says the Zandukna, when they throw the Jewish girls into jail on trumped up false charges, I quickly go and save them. I don't allow any of the goyim near them. I do different things that no one, no one any longer comes to hurt them. Says Rebroka, uh-huh. Now I understand why you're going to Olam Haba. You're the guy that puts up the mehitzot. You're the guy that separated the men and the women. You're the one that saved the purity of Am Yisrael, our Jewish women. You're the one that's going to Olam Haba. Asks the Maharsha and many of the Mefarshim. One second. How do you understand this Gemara? There are thousands of Jews in the Shuk. And he says, Eliyahu, is anyone going to Olam Abba? And Eliyahu says, no. One second. Doesn't Pirkei Avot write, Kol Yisrael, Yeshlem Helek, Le'olam Abba? Every Jew has a portion in Olam Abba. And not only that, but you know what? Rebroka, he's a gadolador. Rebroka was also in the marketplace. You know what Eliyahu should have answered? After looking over the marketplace, he should have said, Nope, nobody in the marketplace except for you, Rebroka. Nobody else besides you is going to Olam Abba. From the fact that Eliyahu said, Lo, it sounds like not even Rebroka. Is that possible? The great Rabbi Rebroka told by Eliyahu not going to Olam Abba. There must be a deeper understanding to this Gemara. And there is. And that is, there's a very famous Tosafot that refers to that moment, the funeral of Rabbeinu HaKadosh when Rebbe died. And the Tosafot over there in Eruvin writes that when Rebbe's funeral, Rebbe passed away, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the rabbi of Klal Yisrael, it was a huge funeral. And during the funeral, a batkol, a voice, came out from heaven. And the voice said, anyone that came to the funeral of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, they're going to Olam Haba. Ask Tosafot, wait one second. Kol Yisrael yeshlem chelik l'olam haba. Even the people who didn't show up to Rebbe's funeral. Why then did the voice from heaven say, the people that attended the funerals going to Olam Abba answers Tosafot? The Batkol. Do you know what it meant when it said that all you people by the funerals going to Olam Abba? It meant, Beli Din Ubeli Hezbon. Do you understand what that means? That means that these people were Zocher to have a direct ticket straight into Olam Haba. That means after 120 years, they don't stand in front of any tribunal. They don't stand in front of Bedin Shamala. They don't. They don't cry over, Oilanu miyom hadin, Oilanu miyom They have no din, no hejbon. They enter Olam Haba direct. Like Tosafot writes, Belo din, o belo hejbon. This is what Rebroka was asking Eliyahu. Eliyahu, tell me! I know that every Jew is going to Olam Abba. Call Yisrael. Yeshlem, chelik l'olam Abba. But wait. In this marketplace, is there anybody so special 
that's going directly into Olam Abba without even judgment after 120 years. A direct ticket into Olam Abba. Eliyahu first looks and says, no, not even you, Rebroka. We all must stand judgment after 120 years to get to Olam Haba. And then, just then, this guy walks in dressed in black with black shoes. Says, Elio, that guy, he has a direct ticket into Olam Haba. Says, Rebroka, what? He doesn't even look Jewish. I don't even think he's wearing tzitzit. He runs over. And what does he find out? What could be so great about this guy, the guy dressed in black, that he has a direct ticket in Olam Abba? And sure enough, he finds out. This guy put up the mechitzot between men and women. This guy put up the walls and separated what needed to be separated so that we could build Torah and purity in Am Yisrael. He protected the purity of the Jewish people. He protected our daughters at times of difficulty and danger. Somebody that does the message of B'Tzalel and puts up the walls and the mechitzot, they're not just zocheh to build Torah and purity, but they're zocheh to directly enter Olam Haba. And therefore, I guess, here is a real cry out to all those Hatan and Kala out there that's listening. Or maybe even better, the parents of the Hatanim and the Kalot Hayikarot of our community and of Klal Yisrael in every community that are listening. When it comes time to make that wedding, when it comes time, that moment that you're going to plan the purity of the wedding, the religious level of the wedding, shouldn't we give this couple the opportunity to put up the walls and the mehitzot and start a life of purity? A home that's going to be built on such kiddushah and Torah and blessing that this is a home that's going to produce Talmidei Chachamim with direct tickets into Olam Haba. Who could give away that opportunity? It's one night, the night of a wedding, the night of holiness, where we enter a shul together, a makom of kedusha, And here we stand under a chuppah, and that chuppah resembles Hashem's love. And it's like a hug around chatan and kala. It's literally the loving hug and wedding gift for chatan and kala. And at that moment, in the height of purity, we begin the ceremony of Kiddushin. Kiddushin. Milashon Kiddusha. Could you imagine if in that ceremony the Mehitzot aren't put up? Could you imagine if we begin to mix things that don't go together? Could you imagine in the moment of purity that's going to begin the home and the purity of Chatan and Kala? And instead, chas v'shalom, we're right back to the double standard of life. Says B'tzalel, Rebbe, I have a bigger message to tell Klal Yisrael. Yes, Torah builds the home, but what builds Torah? First, you have to put up the mechitzot. 
First, you have to put up the walls, and then you can build the Aron, and then you can build the Torah and its purity. Ay, ay, ay. I am jealous of a Hatan and Kala out there who's listening to this and might actually look at each other and say, you know what? By our wedding, we're going to make it right. By our wedding, we're going to be the Nachshon and the Nachshonet that's going to stand up at this moment and put up the walls. We're going to put up the Mechitzot. We want to build a home with Borei Olam in it. We want a ceremony that's going to be Kadosh Vitahor. We want Kiddushin to mean Kiddushah. We want the opportunity to start our lives new on the right leg. And because of that, when it comes to the dancing, when it comes to the marching, we're going to make sure that the Kiddushah remains in our beautiful weddings. So at that moment, Chatan, that's the way to start with purity. That's a home that Borei Olam remains a guest with all the blessings. That's a home that will produce Tamidei Chachamim with like Elian Avi told Rebroka, a direct ticket into Olam Haba. I just want to finish off with one last story. A story that I heard directly from the peoples involved happened a good few years ago. A young lady that came to the wedding of a very good friend of hers, and she wasn't dressed in the way about Israel should ever go out of her home. And there she's standing online with many of her friends, waiting to march down the aisle, waiting, maybe. Like her mother told her that night. I know you're not comfortable dressing like this, but you got to get married. And who's going to look at you if you're not appealing enough? Oi, not appealing, peeling enough. And because of that, she begins to excited to walk down the aisle and the doors to the shul open. And who walked in? This is a true story, ladies and gentlemen. Her rabbi from seminary, who she didn't even know he was in town. He comes walking in and he sees her online, ready to march. And she's hardly dressed. He couldn't believe that that was his student, Talmida. The girl that picked up came to seminary to Israel. This girl, he remembers when they took the girls around to the Kvarim. This was the girl that was the last one out with the longest Shmona Esrei, with the longest Tefilot. This girl cried by the Kotel. Kever Rachel, this girl had to be carried out. And then she comes back to America. And here she is online. She's so, so uncomfortable, but everyone's telling her she's not going to get married any other way. No one will look at you, Sanua. Oy. And at that moment, her rabbi walks in. And at that minute, he sees her. And she sees him. And her face drops to the floor. She doesn't know what to do with herself. She begins to twist and turn. She tries whatever she can to... But what could she do? Her rabbi. His jaw drops. He can't believe that, that this is his student from only a few months prior. Never would he believe. 
And at that moment, her face turns red. She runs off the line. She bursts out crying. And she runs up to her rabbi and she says, it's not my fault. I know this is Ibe. I know to walk around dressed like this, a Jewish girl. The purest of pure. I know, Rebbe, Rabbi, don't think differently of me, please. Please, but they told me I'll never get married if I don't go out like this. I need to turn heads, they told me. Ay, ay, ay. What happened to our faith? What happened to Bore Olam being the one to bring the Zivugamiti? Not the clothing, not the dress. And it was at that moment that the rabbi tells her, listen, I just don't know what to say. I'm shocked. When she heard that, she ran out of the hall. She went home. She came back an hour later, dressed like the girl he remembered. Dressed like a Bat Yisrael. And here she walks in with dignity as a true Eshet Chayil, with nothing Nothing chas shalom, but her nose in the air because there's a certain purity and strength and confidence when you know you're doing the right thing. And she walks in and now her rabbi sees her and he was so taken by what she did. When everyone took down the walls on this girl, she ran back home and put them back up. And now the, the walls of purity and siniut were back up for the Benot Israel for Klal Israel. What a Roshem that must have meant in Shamayim. And at that minute, her rabbi comes running up to her. And he's emotional. And he says to her, I have such respect for you that actually you came back as a Bat Yisrael. And we all could go an inch or two more in the areas of Siniut, like the Chafetz Chaim writes, if a woman finds that she's running into such life difficulties the first thing that she must check in her checklist of life, the thing that will rattle heaven the most and bring to her a turnaround for life to the best, first take a look at your tzniyot. An inch more, an inch more can make the difference of a life of blessing. The Rav turned to her and said, I give you a beracha. They told you that you're never going to get married unless you take the walls down. I'm giving you a biracha that if you never take the walls down and you keep the walls of Siniut up, not only will you find your hatan this year, you'll be zocheh to build Torah. The message of B'tzalel. The message of purity of Am Yisrael. The guardians of purity. We need young, young men and women to stand up for what they know is right and to be the Shomrim on the Kiddushah of the Jewish people. And today there's so much of a double standard and everything goes and we mix everything together and we're losing the sweetness and the purity of the Torah and the Jewish people. It's time to put up those mehitzot. It's time to build the walls and then the Aaron, not just the Torah, but the Aaron will come back to us in the Bayit Shilishi B'Binyan Shalem, a year later, a year later, this girl calls up her rabbi from seminary in Israel and says, Mazal Tov, 
I'm engaged. I'm inviting you to the wedding, and I insist that you come. I made sure that the night I'm going to get married was exactly a year to the night a year prior that you gave me the blessing for putting back the walls of Sinaiut of Klal Yisrael. Here's a cry out to all the young men and young ladies that are looking for Shiduchim. The only one that's Meshadech the Shiduch is the one and the only one Bore Olam. It's not going to be anyone else or anything else but Hashem. En od milvado, and there is nothing that gives Bore Olam more nahat and happiness from you than when we put up the walls of purity to separate what's right and wrong, and we know what's right and wrong. We came a long way, and our community and Klal Yisrael gets a big hazaku baruch because we really did come a long way. And we're getting better, and we're getting more religious, and we're coming closer to Borei Olam day by day, but we still need a measure to go. I envy those chatan and kala that are going to bring the purity, put up the walls, and bring Klal Yisrael back to finally see the message of B'Tzalel. The walls will go up, but not of the Mishkan, of the Bayit Shilishi, and will be zochet to see the Aron, and the Shekhinah, and the Kiddushah of Am Yisrael at its height. Amen. This is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, wishing you a Shabbat Shalom, and we, may we be zochet to the Kiddushah and the sweetness of Torah, and to the final Geulah Bimhera, Amen.